You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, Episode 6. What's up, everybody? My name is Michael Bonner. I am a teacher, speaker, philanthropist, and author. And if you want to take your relationships to another level inside of your classroom, I highly suggest that you tune in to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, where Kevin will lead you to greatness. I appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Before we get into today's episode, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and started putting connections before content. So let's get right back into the show. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super excited today to have my guest, teacher, Mr. Michael Bonner. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about this because I know this is a new venture for you. So this is great. Absolutely. Thanks for that vote of confidence. And so just like every episode, we always want to model, just like we do in the classroom, connections before we dive into today's content. And we do that in the GTKY format. So Michael, I've written down five questions. I want to, okay. I made these very intentional after okay. following you on social media. I noticed the other day you did your mile run and then you mentioned something after your mile run, you were like, man, if I went up to the Waffle House. And so listen, it's really hard because where I live, there are no Waffle Houses. So when I travel, see that face? Okay. So here's my deal. When you go to Waffle House, what's your yes. go-to? What's your go-to? My new go-to, at first it was the All-Star Special, but now one of my best friends, Carnella Austin, told me about the Grit Bowl, where you get grits, eggs, sausage, and bacon in this bowl. They make it nice and hot. It is an immediate nap. It's like the perfect breakfast on a Saturday when you didn't had a long week at work and you didn't grade papers and you just need to relax the grit bowl. Trust me, people. <laughs> okay. And I will tell you, so I'm an all-star. I'm a all-star eggs over easy, hash okay. browns covered, all bacon, chocolate oh, yeah. chip waffle. And that's the only place I can get Mr. Pib. Uh -huh. So like there, when I walk in, it doesn't matter whether I'm in Nashville or Dallas, mm -hmm. but in San Antonio, we don't have one. So Trust me, when I see one, beeline right there. It, it, right. It is, it, it, I cannot <laughs> wait for us to get one. But when I heard you say that, I, I changed my question. I was like, I'm asking him, what's his go-to? Yeah. So obviously you did share about on your mile run, a little bit about your journey and mine was the same little weight gain. But my question, you was just asking this, what have you learned about yourself? Mm -hmm. Something, what have you had to learn about yourself during this quarantine time that you didn't probably, it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have realized it had we not been in it? I was moving too much. I was moving way too much in regards to 
taking care of my body. And it's crazy because there was days where we were home, I was done teaching. And I just found myself feeling like I wasn't being productive because I was so used to teaching and being at a different state at least once or twice a week. So I learned that one, I wasn't taking the proper time to rest. And two, I learned about finances as well. It was a nice little learning experiment for me, for sure. It's funny. I can echo both of those. (laughs) Finances and weight gain and just my body, just being in different places. Because I'm much like you, I was doing about 150 days a year and I was just like, okay. And then when it slowed down, I slowed down. Then I started eating. So much like you, I can't run. So I I had to create a gym in the garage and I had to start like working out. But I do echo your message. Like you just got to start somewhere and build from there. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you. I thought about your video because you say the lies you tell yourself. That's why, no. So here's what, I had to hire a personal trainer online, yeah. of course, but yeah. I, because I told him, I said, look, I know what to do, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I give myself too many excuses. So I need right. somebody to hold me accountable yeah. to tell me what to do because I lie to myself all the time. Like we all do. We all do. That's what was, that's what was blowing my mind. Like I believed it for so long until I got out there because when I was, when I was really working out, I used to run a mile in six minutes. So I'm out here at nine, twelve, puffing. <sighs> like I was like, okay, something has to change. <laughs> I, I I relate with you. All right, question number three, real simple one. Hey, what's your morning routine? They always say successful people. If you win the morning, you win the day. What's your morning routine? When I can get up, my morning <laughs> emphasis on can. When I can get up, my morning routine normally is I literally uh, get up. I have this fill this up with water the night before, so it's like twenty five ounces. I've learned from my friends in the medical field, drinking water in the morning, hydrate your organs. I will get up. I will go and pour water, lavender, and peppermint in my diffuser. I'll make up my bed. I'll cut on NPR uh, Up First podcast, which gives me the three events that's currently happening in 10 minutes. Start to shower up, and I'll get myself ready. And then before I leave out, I literally sit here in my apartment, you know, blinds closed, and just try to just zone in and just meditate and concentrate before I attack the day because I'm learning if I can charge myself up and put myself in the, might, the right mindset to attack the day, I can mainly handle what comes throughout that day. That's good to know. The more I'm learning about this side of education and mm-hmm. learning about entre- entrepreneurs and success, I think you hear the same message. They all have some type of morning routine, ritual, thought process. And I love the way that they each individually do something different, whether it be healthy, working mm-hmm. out, drinking water, but taking some time to get their mind. I think what I'm working on is trying to figure out what that routine is and what works for me. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a really genuine, but also selfish question to kind of steal. Hey, like, no, you're what, fine. Um, it's, I do know a lot of them, every person I study that's wealthy or successful, they do get up early though, before the day gets started. They feel that if they do not get up early in time, the world is already moving in front of them. Specifically, if you're looking inside the stock market, whatever the case may be, it's already moving. So yeah, differentiate it towards you. Be yeah. Good. So uh, here's one funny thing about this. There's a gentleman named Hal Bowman in what house is he sets the alarm at 559 because he always wants to say, I woke up before six. <laughs> So use use that however it works because in your mind you're like I woke up before six five fifty nine. Right. All right, question number four, real simple. How would you describe your mom in three words? Fearless. <laughs> I'm thinking of so many things. Fearless, innovative, and I'm trying to find the right word for it. unselfish. Fearless, okay. innovative, unselfish. 
She's a brilliant woman. I love my mother and my father so much, but it was tough to try to get three adjectives. To I'm with you. No, I, I'm with yeah. you. So last question. If okay. you were in my shoes right now and behind you said the Relationship Center Learning Podcast and you were hosting the show, who would you want to interview? If I was hosting your show, the individual that I will want to interview and like I can ask any questions and take it there. Yeah. I'm a mess with him. I will interview Ron Clark. I will interview okay. Ron Clark. You, you, you would get the man, the myth, the legend himself, huh? I, I've shared a class with him last year because the way the school stuff was operating. So I've talked alongside him. Uh-huh. But I would love to like really get into his mind because him and most other individuals, they're just so busy and they're on the go and they're on task that they don't really have the time to sit down and give you every detail. I would love to mess with him and just pick his mind. <laughs> so we should set that up though. Yeah. You, you and I, I'll let you host. I'll just sit, I'll just sit here and just be in awe of both of you, but we, yeah. we should set that up. That would be great <laughs> to be able to hear, not just Ron Clark, but I think right. somebody who works alongside of him, like you mm-hmm. said, in a format, that would be really interesting the way you would pick his mind versus mm-hmm. somebody like me from afar. <laughs> All right, brother, that was five. You got five for me. All right, here we go. So the first one, because I know you said something about Waffle House earlier. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite type of food? Asian cuisine. So that could be I mean, anything Asian. So it could be Thai, Japanese, Korean. Yes, Asian. Okay, okay. The second one, because I love Asian food as well. Seafood is my favorite, so I can definitely understand Asian as well. The second one is going to be, what is your favorite guilty pleasure? For me, I guess my guilty pleasure is... It has to be insomnia cookies here in, that, in, this, in the South. They have this place where the cookies are just, they literally melt in your mouth. And I know I should be eating them. Mm-hmm. So what is your guilty pleasure? It's a place called Small Cakes. So Small Cakes, I had not discovered them, but about a year ago, I don't even, it was a total accident. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I was like, oh, I like, I love cake. Like I love cake over ice cream. And I happened to stumble in there and I was like, oh, this is an interesting place. And they're cupcakes, but they also make them in a jar. So they layer them like cake, icing cake in a a mason jar with a lid on. Uh, Let's just say this. I grabbed two. (laughs) And then the very next day I came back and bought six. And, And then when I left on the road, I said, can I get six to go? And then I came home and I was like, where's the small cakes? Uh, and there is one in San Antonio, but it's, I went to Corpus Christi. I'm like, y'all got a small cakes I, everywhere I go. Uh, and I was in Waco two weeks ago and I was like, they got a small cakes. That place right. is, is where I indulge. They have a, a, a cupcake called the chocoholic. It, it, okay. it's ridiculous, but it, it is. Yeah. So people that know me in my circle, they're like, right. small cakes yeah. is, I cannot, that like your thing. cookies. Yes. My thing. Absolutely. So when your podcast hits a million subscribers and there's a million <laughs> listens and downloads, I'm going to send you a thing of small cakes. All right. We're going to claim this now. Right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Said. Okay. The fourth one. Favorite song. If this song comes on when you're out, you just you may just have to get up and dance or sing along with it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I'll give probably, you a couple seconds. No, probably uh, Rob Bass. It takes two. Okay. Okay. Bass, yeah. I, I, was a, I was a DJ at 18. So I actually used to DJ with turntables and records and cassettes, and I'd had to carry all that equipment around. So I had to learn early. I was like graduating in 88, so late 80s, early 90s, and that's what's crazy about my, if you look on my 
iPhone, man. I'll have mm-hmm. anything from Christian country to NWA yeah. to 80s and 90s rap. It's just, it's such yeah. a diverse, I love music. But yeah, rap bass, it takes two. Whoo. It, it, I make sure when we, when we have schools and stuff open back up, I'll make sure I have that plan when you come into my classroom. <laughs> I got love you. It. The last one, which is a really good one. If you could change one thing in education right now, what would that be? Mm, it's easy for me. I would just change the accountability for connections. I would just say if we could hold ourselves accountable for the connections that we preach about and find a way to do that, to be genuine and authentic, I think that's my why. That's my platform. I just want us, because I know as educators, we're good at just telling us what to do. But if we're not required to do it, Mm, we're not necessarily going to do it. And I feel like the natural people like yourself and myself who may naturally build and sustain relationships because we're just gifted in that area and we see the value in it, but we can also integrate it into the fabric of what our classroom looks like. So it's not very difficult. But for those other teachers, I say, I always say this, 10% of your teachers will excel at most things. 10% of your teachers will never do anything anyways that you tell them to do. But then 80% are just like, just tell us what to do, Mr. Bonner. And unfortunately, education hasn't told them to do that. And if they haven't told them how, and they haven't held them accountable for that. So that would be the one thing that would change. Powerful. Brilliant response, man. Thank you, brother. All right. So that's five and five. So listen, teachers, educators that are listening, this is exactly what we want you to do in the classroom. We want you to get to know your students and get to know your staff before you jump into that content of the lesson of the day or even the content of that meeting if you're having a faculty meeting. So using GTKY questions. So if you're looking for an example of how do you, or an example of these questions, you can go to our website of rclfirst.com. That's rclfirst.com. And we've got a free resource for you. That's 25 GTKY questions. We've tried to pick the best questions we can for you. So that free resource is right there on our website, the landing page. So please check it out. All right. So as we get into today's show, I just want people to know who you are in general. So can you just take them to a concise as who you are as a person, but also who you are as an educator? And I say that open-ended because your story is, it goes in many different paths, but I just really want people to get to know who Michael Bonner is. And so you start where we need to go to brother. Okay. Uh, I am a young man that is in love with the field of education in my profession. I am from North Carolina, so I'm a definitely a country boy at heart. Uh, I have two amazing parents, Michael and Frida Bonner, and four amazing siblings as well, Dre, Bonda, Candace, and Kyla. And I'm just a family-oriented individual. I've been teaching for about eight years now. Not only am I a teacher, I am an educational consultant. Not only do I do the speaking, I write books. I try to do a lot of different business ventures, try to get into philanthropy and investing. I'm just a person that firmly believes that we're not a one lane street, that we're all our highways and you just have to figure out how you want to maneuver between each lane and tap into each lane that you have inside of your life. That's me. That's me just willing to challenge the current status quo, um, willing to really look at all data to see what's happening, what's going on and how can we bring effective change so that every child, um, regardless of where they come from, can step into a classroom, know that they're loved and get the best instructional content possible. Wow, powerful message. So I, I will go as a fan of yours. I think when you hit, no, I'm saying when you hit like mainstream media, right? Mm-hmm. When you get on the Ellen show and you're on TV and you're seeing all these things, right? And, and you're getting to celebrate. And I love the fact that when educators 
get celebrated because to me, the value of what we bring. And so right. as you were going through that celebrity status, this is, you, you are becoming well-known for what you're doing in a classroom. When you go on these shows and you go through these experiences and the kids go with you, yeah. as you grow in that kind of notoriety of who you're becoming as an educator, what's one thing that reshaped you or that you took from that as you grew in status, what's one thing that reshaped you or that you took into who you are currently than you were eight years ago? One of my mentors told me, I asked them shortly after the Ellen DeGeneres show. And I was like, Hey, does the moment, does the moment ever leave? And they basically said, yeah, it does leave, but you just have to make sure that you keep the children first. And the moment you don't keep the children first, people automatically sense that and draw back. So for me, that was a natural thing to automatically do because I know I love my students. The students are on the Elder Generous show. Like they're, they're actually right there on their book. I talk to them now, play Fortnite with them now. I'm in a whole completely different state, but they at least know that I can still get some type of connection with him. And that was probably the easiest thing for me to hold on to throughout these years is understanding how crazy it can be inside of the classroom, how many struggles teachers really and truly deal with, and how I can use my platform and my message and what I've experienced and what I have learned to just try to uplift educators and uplift the students that I come into contact with. So making sure I'm keeping in mind, why am I truly doing this? I firmly believe is what has helped sustain me and helped me evolve as a speaker and most importantly, as a teacher. Because when you do get some type of notoriety or, or fame, it is very easy to leave the classroom, let's be clear. It's, it's very easy to take an opportunity and just take off. But I know for me, I always said I always wanted to be a multi-billionaire teacher. And there's plenty of ways to do that. And I just want to be there because I love working with students and I don't see myself leaving the classroom unless God provides some crazy opportunity that I have to take up. And even then, I'm still going to be connected <laughs> inside of the classroom. I'll be sponsoring 12 teachers per every month or something crazy. So keeping kids first, that's been my mission ever since the Ellen DeGeneres 2017. And I think I've been doing a pretty good job of this. <laughs> I would agree. No. So can, can I ask you this crazy question? Sure. What's the craziest, like out of your fame, what's the craziest thing that you had happen to you? Did somebody come up to you or a kid? Did you have that one moment that you were like, dang, okay. Like out of, out of becoming a little people, bit famous. Yeah. Yeah. People will recognize you. It's, it's been times randomly. It's been on flights. It's been on through airports. I'm trying to rush to get back to the airport so I can fly back to my school. I would say the craziest thing, though, is not even I, I've learned now is not even the fact that I was on Ellen because that was three years ago. You know, it was almost a thousand days ago. What I'm learning now is people I think I've been blessed with the gift to actually speak and I guess to relay a message in a way. And I think one time I was at a certain conference and I finished giving the speech and they walked me. It's about probably five thousand people. Then they walked me through the side because it was released to lunch. And one person messed around and spotted me because we just had a blast for that hour keynote. It was rocked it out. They spotted me when they turned and saw me like most people turned and saw me. So then it came from me walking to people crowding towards me and the people had to like block. And the next thing I know, I'm like in this little spot, I'm six, five, I'm looking like what's happening here. But it was just a moment of excitement because everybody connected and I really connected with teachers to let them know that as educators, I don't care what society says, we have the best profession in the world. Yes, we're not paid as we should be, but we have a voice and we're not going to stop speaking until we have that voice. And we know that education is the most powerful tool in the world anyway. So it was just a beautiful moment, but that moment was really intense. Okay. This is real. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I know when you spoke at our conference and we were really honored to get you as a keynote, one of the messages that I really took away a couple things, but I love the way that you unpacked 
what I always say for me, I always say some of us are stuck with a 1999 playbook in 2019, 2020. Yes. One of the things, will you go there for a minute and just educate yeah. the listeners because you, you don't have the slides and everything, but just that yeah, mindset, fine. take us there because w- the way you do that, mm-hmm. it, I think is really enlightening. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm also trying to echo that same message. Right. But hey, today's students and today's classrooms are different. And we've got to try to get into that space in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So take us through your little bit of mindset on that. So the very first assessment given out in the 1970s was done by the National Education Association, uh, I believe NEA. There's one more letter um, that I'm missing inside of the acronym. But they basically did a survey and they gave out the standardized assessment and they noticed that there was a substantial gap between African-American students and white students in the 1970s. So right off the rip. At the time, we look back, it was a very intense time civil rights and a lot of things were going on at that point in time. But I need people to understand the very foundation of the education system was never built for people and students to be analytical thought leaders, critical people who can just break down problems and things. For the wealthy, if they could afford it, they would get that later on in their educational career. But for the most part, it operated like a factory, bringing people in, giving them the basic information possible so they can get a job and keep the economy going, which is why it was built during the Industrial Revolution area age. Now I try to explain to people, and it's funny because I gave that keynote last year and then all of a sudden COVID happened. And then you see people panicking because we have to lean a little bit more on technology, which is what we've been saying we probably need to be doing anyway with relationships um, and getting them to buy in. And the unique thing about that, even though we're doing virtual learning like myself, if you don't have a relationship with them, they're not cutting their camera on on Zoom and they're not logging on on Zoom and you can't suspend them. They're already home anyway. So, so. In that keynote, I just try to really relate to people that there are a lot of things that are outdated and we need to really begin to question who said brilliance. When it comes down to saying that a person or is intelligent or a child is intelligent, who said that is the standard, right? There are so many different, there's eight different types of intelligence according to Gardner. There's so many different types of ways of expression that our students can show that they're learning things, but somehow we bottled it up to a paper and pencil assessment and then we believe that's the one gateway for students to actually learn. So when COVID-19 happened, when the states are suspending standardized assessments and you can't be in a classroom and just have worksheets in front of them all day, I feel like they put teachers on the Hall of Fame mode and you had to figure out what do you want to do? What do you can you really rely on? And yes, you can rely on your Google Classroom certification and the Apple certification, but without the relationship piece, it's all falling on deaf ears. Yeah. I love how you segue to that because uh, I'm going to be really transparent. I have never really had to embrace technology or virtual trainings, obviously, because it really wasn't something that we were pushing in. And and most of our business, everybody agreed, hey, Kevin, I'd rather have you and your staff come and deliver this professional development in person because we also break out in small groups. So they get intimate small groups. So like I'll lead them through the major information and then they'll get to go practice these skills and drills. And so they love that interaction. But I will tell you in the middle of COVID, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I got a training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Zoom. And I, I have to tell you to talk about the lies you tell yourself man, I went in Monday, like, this is mm-hmm. stupid. Like, why are we yeah. even doing this? Yeah. How many people are even going to turn on their screens? Mm-hmm. All this stuff. And mm-hmm. I say this because my attitude obviously affected the way that I was presenting that day. But mm-hmm. I did, I still came at it. But I started noticing, as you said, I started to not even think about it, but second nature. Mm-hmm. If I had a screen of 10, 15, whatever people, mm-hmm. I would see a name and I'd be like, Exactly, Michael, and, right. or right, Sarah. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, Sarah, is that your dog in the background? Yeah. In the middle of training. Just, and all of a sudden, as you said, screens mm-hmm. would start coming on. 
Yeah. Because people, and that was the first reflection piece that I realized is like teaching to a blank black screen is with an mm-hmm. initial is very difficult because you mm-hmm. can't get any feedback, but yeah. I started to realize. And so I was, I'm very honest about this. By the end of the week, mm-hmm. I was in my jam. Yeah. I was like, I was standing yeah. up now instead of mm-hmm. sitting down. Mm-hmm. I was using people's names. We were using an examples. And as you said, I was empathizing and say, Hey, we ain't got this figured out right now, but you know what? Yeah. We know this, you still have to figure out how to connect with kids. So let's just talk about that. And so I really, as you started to talk about, that was my mm-hmm. transformation was starting to realize this is our reality. Mm-hmm. And I say, we're still mid pandemic. So we can't yeah. even, we've entered into this next school year. So as you went to this next school year, what are some of the challenges and, and things that you're having to work through coming back to the classroom? So for me, I was really planning on doing a lot of really cool novel studies inside of my sixth grade classroom this year in person and reading them out loud and having those discussions and being around the energy. But obviously you can't do that. So even for me, again, like as a speaker, like we were talking about, I have to figure out how can I evolve as a teacher? And I think that's one of the, the, the best things about being a teacher and a speaker, because I get the opportunity to tell people that, hey, I'm in this process as well. So one of the things I'm really looking forward to is with my new group of students. One, I have to memorize all the upcoming fourth graders names. I automatically was doing things to build relationships before I came to RCA. But there are certain things that we do at RCA that just make us us, such as home visits. We make sure we go and visit every upcoming child and new student who comes to the school. Every staff member must memorize the student names that are coming into the classrooms and pronounce them correctly so they can feel at home and have that self-efficacy. So those are the things I'm trying to go through right now and figure out how can I connect with them because I'm not going to be able to meet them at their home. We didn't even get a chance to do our, our welcome. When students get celebrated in, we literally just cut on music, roll out a red carpet and just throw a bunch of confetti and just let them dance down the aisle. It probably costs less than $20, but it's something that they look forward to. We didn't have that this year. So for me, the hardest thing I'm trying to figure out is how can I connect with my children outside of this being virtually. And then two, when they're up here, how can I build a, a beautiful synchronous or asynchronous lesson um, that wants them, that makes them want to come back to class? If we don't have class today, they'll be like, man, I wish we had Mr. Bonner today. So mm. that's where my mind is going at right now. I see everybody else panicking and stuff, but I'm figuring out if I can just fix what's in Michael Bonner's realm in my apartment right now, mm-hmm. I can help others and guide others as well. Absolutely. So you mentioned the Ron Clark Academy, RCA. So this was, is this, correct me, second year going in? Is that correct? This year? Second, it's my second year. Yeah, I was okay, so, last year. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I know have in education have visited RCA in the past or want to and those types of things. So what was it like to be hired? Mind Exciting, nerve. What was it like? That's a, yeah. It was this, mind-blowing for me because for uh, because the purpose of RCA is for educators to come, to learn, to collaborate, to build community, to take the strategy, stay in touch and go back into your schools and spread that magic. And I took that seriously in 2017. My first time visiting was in May, 2017. I went right back to my classroom, was on fire, just like I was before I got there and was rolling. And then things happened. The next time the opportunity came up and I'm like, hey, this may be pretty cool. And I was already going there for at least a year, just spending time with them building connections with the teachers that are already working there. So there's a video when they announced me that I was hired because of the relationships I built with the students, you can sort of see the kids literally run up to me and jam me. They're just like, everybody's high-fiving and stuff. So there is a video of that. And it was just a beautiful feeling because at our school, that's what I think it makes it unique. It was built by two teachers. So they have things automatically there that feels great to a teacher. Like I don't have to worry about a bulletin board. Not saying bulletin boards are wrong or displaying student work is wrong. We still display student work. I just don't have to worry about 
Am I on the bulletin schedule this week? Make sure I get that done on top of everything else I have to do for the week. So that's what made it exciting for me, the chance to uh, push myself and uh, to become a better teacher. And I love it. I'm the youngest teacher there, but that makes it even better because I get to learn from outstanding, brilliant pundits who truly love kids, man. So I've seen that video. So what you're telling me is that video, you weren't already working there. No, you, no so they, that, they announced that. They announced it. That, so that video was them announcing that I have been hired. And the kid's reaction was the, the genuine reaction because I've already been around them for a year and talking to them, getting to know them. I may come and do a breakout session or something. And it was a really cool dynamic, man. Guy really, he really surprised me with that in that entire move. But being here has truly stretched me as an educator. I've never taught sixth grade reading before. I never taught fourth grade social studies before. Not only am I teaching it, our school operates as a professional development hub. So we have 700 teachers coming in every week to watch you teach. So it was a different type of pressure um, because we know you can get on stage and talk about educational theory, but it's different when you have an observation every week from people you don't know. Oh yeah. So, that, was, yeah. <laughs> so you just took the average teacher that said, "Uh oh, the administrator just the one person just walked in with a clipboard or laptop." You're like, right. try doing it with hundreds of educators watching you yeah. on a weekly or regular basis, man. That's but incredible. You find comfort. You find comfort because I I know that we all are evolving. I know there isn't a perfect educator. There are some that do amazing things. There's some that do great things. I'm right. great at presenting information. There's maybe some things I'm not really good at. But I'm open to learning what I'm not good at and then becoming an amazing at what I'm not good at. Yeah. I feel that anxiety. Yeah, sure. So so when you did not only the keynote, uh, the breakout mm-hmm. session. So, of course, mm-hmm. I had to go to your breakout session, too. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a stalker fan. I stood in the back of the room because it was so packed. But would you take us for just a minute how you always talk about the action and putting everything mm-hmm. yeah. and how it helps us learn? Mm-hmm. And I loved mm-hmm. how you took us all through the different hand signals and mm-hmm. different things like that. Right. Will you take the listeners through just a little bit of, of, of that content so that they can yes. capture a little bit of that information? Because it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so the unique thing is called whole brain teaching, but before whole brain teaching, there was another term that was used. This is the thing in education. It's cyclical, and they'll put a different name to it the next year. But what people fully need to understand is that I think the guy named is Edgar Allen. Um, he has this concept. If it's not Edgar Allen, he has this concept called the cone of learning. And what we know, according to brain research, is that the lowest form of learning is sitting and listening. That's 10%. The highest form of learning is doing, and we can attest to that based on us being inside of our educational courses in school, learning about behavior management, and then when you're inside of student teaching, you got to actually put the action behind it. So inside of the classroom, when it comes down to teaching, excuse me, new vocabulary words, when it comes down to different gestures, I try to make sure that my students have movement. So if it's a vocabulary word and we use the word uh, pundit, out to my kids, when you say pundit, make sure you put a finger like this as if you're a person that's thinking and it helps them remember the word. I learned that from Corey Collins, who's an outstanding reading teacher as well. If you truly want to grow as an educator, I have the book right here because I'm always growing as well. I highly suggest in regards to relationships as well, mm-hmm. you should pick up this book called Culturally Responsive Teaching by Zaretta Hammond. Let me flip my screen really quickly so people can make sure that they see this, uh, Kevin. But uh, this book has literally tra- transformed my life because it has put me in a position Um, to truly learn about not only how relationships matter, Mm -hmm. but how the brain plays a huge importance into how our minds work. And when you can tap into the mind and relationships, the the numbers go off the chart. Mm -hmm. That's what happened with the Ellen DeGeneres thing, if I'm honest. That's exactly what happened now that I come into the knowledge of what I was doing. 
What do you mean by that? Take me there for a second. So if you don't know, if people don't know, I made a music video for my students and gave them a challenge that if you pass the test this time, after I reteach it in a different way, I'll make you a music video. Um, and they took on the challenge, they learned the content, I used movement and things like that, and then I post the video, it went viral or whatever. But what I've learned with culturally responsive teaching is that you have to make sure not only do you have relationships with your students, but are you presenting things in your classroom that has representation of who they are, that has a different type of content that they can see themselves, other individuals into other places inside of the world. I took the music that they love and, and, and gravitate towards on an everyday basis and I just mixed it up in a pot. And then I presented it with the music video, which everybody fell in love with. At that point in time, I was just having fun with my kids and rewarding them, but it was a perfect mixture of relationships, content, and brain research all wrapped up in one. Um, so that's why I think that book is a must have for those that are trying to take your relationships to another level and understanding culture, especially now with everything going on with the curriculum, anti-bias, anti-racist curriculum. And it will also help you understand the brain and just, it's a beautiful book, man. Beautiful oh, book. I appreciate it. And, I, and I, I'm glad you shared that because I always tell educators, if you're going to tune into this, you've got to take things away, whether it's yeah. a book, a website, something. And so like you there, so I'm glad you mm-hmm. shared that. So I, I'm going to tap into one of the words or phrases that you just talked about. And I'm going to maybe unpack this in a way you haven't heard this, but okay. if you look at today's difficult situation where we're at in education beyond the quarantine and COVID-19 and and being stuck virtually or hybrid of all these different learning environments. One of the things that I'm experiencing is that schools are, for lack of better terms, rushing out to grab as many initiatives surrounding race, culture, diversity, social, emotional learning, trauma, informed practices. And one of the things that I started to really take a deeper dive in I think every one of those in some form or fashion need to be uh, integrated into the school system. So Mm -hmm. I'm not against them. What I started to recognize though, is when you look at how those are delivered Mm -hmm. in the school system, most of them or almost all of them, as you just mentioned, are lesson based. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? In other words, you're going to go out and and whether you get social emotional lesson, social emotional learning lessons, race, culture, diversity, as you just talked, they're that lesson based. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I started to recognize, particularly, and again, I'm not picking on it, but identifying social emotional learning, it has five Mm -hmm. competencies and competency number four is building relationships. Mm -hmm. And so my mind went, as I started to research this, my theory is that when you look at how these are all brought into schools being lesson based, they, the byproduct of them is that they blend relationships simultaneously mm-hmm. or while you're unpacking that lesson. Mm-hmm. And what I was trying to really emphasize, as you said, going into this school year, because this is going to be a different platform than any, have we considered what initiative are schools bringing in that we're going to have crucial conversations but that don't surround race, culture, diversity, social, emotional, or trauma that just allows you to build a relationship without lesson base. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going? Because it's, it's hard. Because my point is, how are we going to talk about race, culture, diversity, mm-hmm. and anything if we don't know each other? Right. And right. my thought process was maybe sometimes what we're bypassing the idea connect before we get into the content. So I see what you're saying. Before you hop to the lessons and curriculum, you probably didn't know each other within the room first so that we can take a deeper dive. Okay. Right. But my my point is, is I'm not, I'm saying relationships before social emotional learning relationship. Mm -hmm. In fact, what I'm saying is RCL Mm -hmm. before SEL, RCL Mm -hmm. before race, culture, diversity, because 
the tools that we, we bring to the classroom are only GTKY. They're not lesson based. So that was, it was really important that when I started to develop the tools, much like RCA was built by educators, we built tools that were built by educators for educators because unfortunately lesson-based curriculums are still curriculums. And unfortunately what schools are doing is they're emphasizing and putting so much weight on those and they're forgetting that the the goal is to build relationships as a byproduct of going through that lesson. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, have we considered, how about just building a foundation of connections with some tools that don't allow us to discuss those things yet? Because yeah. then if we have that basis of connections, I'm more, I'm able to understand different points of view and I'm able to listen better and I'm able to do those things. And so when, when I throw it out there like that, what's your thoughts? So from what I'm understanding, you're trying to make sure that there is an establishment of a relationship in not only just in the classroom, but what I'm hearing is you're trying to make sure that there's an understanding of community before you start diving into those deeper topics and conversations. And by doing that first, you can allow for true transparency and honesty to happen. I can understand that. And honestly, I, I, I run my classroom that way before I start diving into any type of deep or heavy topics. In one of the, our entire school, we make sure that we lay the foundation that we are a community that you're thoughts and things are, are respected, but you will be challenged in that because that's the process of learning. What I am glad to see is that, because for a while I noticed inside of education there were a lot of platitudes that relationships matter. We know that relationships matter. So it is good to see that people are breaking down under the umbrella of relationships matter. What, what else other than relationships? How can we, is it social emotional? Is it dealing with race? Is it dealing with diversity? Is it dealing with the curriculum? I'm glad those conversations are happening as well. I can't agree with you that there has to be some type of establishment of norms and some type of connectivity there first before you start having those tough conversations, specifically inside of your school systems. Mm-hmm. I've seen times yes. I've had to have those conversations with complete strangers. There's not enough time to have that relational piece. Well said. Uh, well said. Yeah. No, and I agree. So when you look at that and you think about, okay, and as you as a student, when you were growing up mm-hmm. or in your teaching career, if you go back to it, where was a where was a moment that you realize that those connections and relationships that you that were laid as a foundation made a difference in either you as the student or you as the teacher? Take us through a story or an incident where you realize, like, good thing we had that foundation of relationships or connections because that helped this situation. So my, all of my siblings are absolutely brilliant in every single way. And they show their intelligence in, in, in a variety of ways. My brother, Dre, can literally take a car apart. He's never been to school or automotive school. He can literally tell you what's wrong with it. Is, is, the, is, the, ga, is the, the gauge? He's just all different types of stuff. My sisters, though, they are intelligent in regards to books. Like they can get a 4.0 in their sleep like it's nothing. So when my sister Candace went off to college at North Carolina Central, which is a historically black university, I was performing like mediocre in school. I didn't really care, but I got so tired of people just applauding my sister. I'm like, I'm about to step it up this year. So I went into sixth grade and ironically, my sixth grade teacher was also a lady that went to my church, Mrs. Nina Felton. So when it came time for me to sort of slack and I was about to slack off in class, like I can't do this. Well, I don't feel like doing this. She was like, "Uh, uh uh-uh, I know you. I've actually held you as a baby. You're going to make sure you read through the social studies book. You want to make sure that you go through this content, this lesson stuff with me. I don't even remember the books. That the, matter of fact, I do. I fell in love with reading books inside of her class. I do remember that. I, I fell in love with reading the books out of her class, the Red Wall series. And she just challenged me 
because she knew me. And believe it or not, for that sixth grade year, I had all A's. Like it was taking everybody by surprise. But I think because of her just having that, me having self-efficacy and confidence in her class, me seeing somebody that looks like me, me seeing those discussions and things happening in the class, and just motivated me to just really take off. And when I had those moments, it showed me, okay, I can, I can really do this. Okay. Joe Beckman was on an episode and we were talking about a great conversation and he mentioned something to the effect of like vulnerable teachers being vulnerable. And he had said, I don't know why the word vulnerable makes us uncomfortable, but he said, what if we replace the word vulnerable with the word ordinary? Mm-hmm. And so we had started talking and come up with a phrase of like, I, I believe the extraordinary teachers are also great at being just ordinary, be extraordinary, but also be ordinary. In other words, I cannot tell you out of all the episodes that I've recorded, somehow every conversation, somebody says, paraphrasing, somebody always says, treat us like we're human or see us as we're human. And so I keep coming back and I see the word ordinary. While you're an extraordinary teacher, Mr. Bonner, you got to be ordinary sometimes, do you not for your students? And just be like, I always say, it's okay to not be okay in education or it's okay to be it. But does that make sense that you are this extraordinary Famous teacher, speaker, entrepreneur, you, you are creating so much content and such a ma- motivation change in this world, but aren't you just ordinary too for your students? Ordinary. I feel it. I feel sad. I felt the depression about 2015. I felt the wave of emotions. And that's the unique thing about me creating the YouTube channel and stuff that's going on right, right now is because I'm really just documenting. I'm not even looking at it as creating anymore. Gary Vee says you know, people look at creating content, take on this really heavy mindset. For me, I'm just documenting. I documented my step into my classroom for the first time. I document Sunday talks and where my mind is at. And my students watch it. In fact, one of them called me the other day and was like, hey, Mr. Bonner, you mentioned this in one of your videos that this happened in such and such. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And we dove right into it. But they also know that the teacher that comes into my class and serves me, he's also a a full man. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm not teaching them text features or going through a novel, I'm on Fortnite and Call of Duty with them. We have group FaceTimes and stuff. Those things, that's why I stay by the quote, you can't demand a withdrawal from somebody you never invested in because I'm being vulnerable for them. I'm holding them to high expectations. I'm letting them know I love them. And when it comes time for me to actually get something from them, they're more willing to listen to me and more willing to be challenged by me because of that relational piece. And people just don't understand that sometimes or they don't want to understand it. I think people just choose not to understand it. Everything in society operates off of relationships. It's networking. It's the social capital of the world. And when we fully understand that, understand how society moves, I think people are buy in. We wouldn't be on this podcast together without social capital. It's just how it goes, man. And I hopefully I think I hope more educators can hop into that um, because it's where the magic happens at. I heard this story about a teacher where she couldn't get in touch with one of her students that she just loved. So what she decided to do is that she ordered a pizza and sent the pizza to the family's household because the phones were off. She left her number on the receipt and gave the tip to the guy and said, make sure that they get the number. The family was able to contact her because they didn't have her number saved. That's the type of mindset I'm trying to have and take into the rest of the school year. Not only just going the extra mile, but letting them know, y'all, I really care about you so much. And I don't even want to feed you, but I'm going to leave my number to make sure that you know we stay in touch with each other. So that's that's that what you just described. That's why people can't understand why I love educators. Because mm-hmm. Not every person, and I'm not putting down any other profession, but the way that I always, and I started saying this at the the beginning of the pandemic, a pandemic can't, cannot get in the way of a teacher's heart. 
Like we're, you see people teaching through glass doors at a house, mm-hmm. teaching math or whatever. I saw a teacher in the back of a truck take- Yeah, a, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that when you see that, like mm-hmm. it, it not only inspires me, but it makes me proud, yeah. so proud to be, continue to always just be a, a fan and proud of educators. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to flip that question. And okay. so I'm going to tell you now, when was a time when you reflect, either you as a student, or when you were as a teacher, when the lack of connections and relationships impacted that story or that incident? So for me, it was this past year. Um, whenever you're a new newbie or a new teacher in any environment where the norms and things are already established, you have to figure out your way and find your way. You don't know every child. They were familiar with me, but they've never been taught by me. It's, it's a difference. I can pass in the hallway, but actually us being face-to-face. And there was one particular kid, I, I love him to death. He is so smart, so brilliant. But he would constantly try to break certain rules because he thought I didn't know what the rules were. And it almost became a game to him until I sat down to talk to him one day and gave him like the ultimate pouring. Like the ultimate pouring for me as a teacher is you just flood them with so much love and confidence. They sort of thrown off that you even talk to them. I'm like, dude, listen, man, you are so brilliant. You are so smart. Like I love when you come to my classroom. It makes my heart happy when you sit in the front and you're ready to rock and roll. And when we're discussing things in class and you're answering, you're raising your hand. It makes me so happy, man. You have no idea. If you could, what's going on with this situation right here? Explain this to me why you keep breaking the rule knowing that I'm going to give you the consequence. And it took it to a deeper level. And one day, like the next week, he did it one more time, but I took it up another level because I recognized I didn't have a real connection with his parents. And that was the key. So I called his parents one day. He came in the next day. Like he was just a little bit more on his toes. Like he wasn't trying to play as much. So that was one of the moments for me because as teachers, we will have those students who will try it. It doesn't matter where you teach at RCA. It doesn't matter if you teach at a private school, a charter public, a prestigious school, a school backed by celebrities or not. Kids are going to be kids. They just need structure. And when you don't have the relational piece along with the structure, you're setting yourself up for failure. So at that particular time with that child, I did not dive in deep enough into that relational piece. Not just him. What about his family? What about his community? What about his coaches? What about his hobbies? I had to go a little bit deeper with him. And I'm glad that I did. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think we all have those reflective moments sometimes if we own it. We're just like okay, I just need to go here, there. And I I was interviewing Jonathan Brown, Jonathan Grant Brown the other day. Mm -hmm. He's an avid and a a motivational speaker. And he had talked about Kevin, for him being in foster care and, and all these different situations, he said the educators that helped him be successful and get his master's degree and get to college were the ones that said, okay, I've done everything I can, but then they take a big deep breath and then say, but I'm gonna keep going. Like, like they don't give up. Right? And right. so I feel like that's the hardest part for some educators is when we feel like we've hit the wall and we feel like I, I don't know what else to do. And in your mind, you've checked every box. You, like you said, I've connected with him. I've redirected him. I've given him the expectations. I've given, I, I have routines. I'm building relationships. And then all of a sudden, once you, as you said, we tell ourselves lies, we, we, we convince ourselves we've exhausted right. everything, but then there's some educators that don't allow their minds to go there. And if they don't stay there, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I do believe, man, that it's, I think I have so many crazy experiences from students swinging and hitting and throwing chairs and trying to build those relationships that it builds this level of stamina. 
inside of you. It builds this 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 wherewithal, this perseverance muscle. And my I have coworkers from my previous school that would tell you literally every day when I had a bad day, I would change my entire classroom makeup around the seating and everything just to switch it up. Okay, this was bad. That didn't work today. Okay, we had a disruptive behavior today. When they come in tomorrow, watch how I mix it up and they're going to come into something new and fresh. They're going to be like, what is this? So I think if people can just find a way to tap into that muscle, tap into that particular strength and that mindset, it can make a, a big change. And you can't just do it by yourself. You have to have a community of strong teachers around you who will allow you to be vulnerable and who will, will allow you the space to grow. Mm. Everybody wants to be a great teacher till it's time to do what great teachers do. And sometimes what great teachers do is not necessarily easy. At our school, we have a rule that if you tell a child you want to do something, you have to do it. There is no you better or you you have to do it because we don't believe in giving out those empty promises. And, and keeping that muscle going so you can hold on to those promises isn't always easy, but we have people around you to help support you and they kept pushing you, to keep pushing when you feel tired. It, it helps. It helps your time. So I'm going to go there. I always remind them that in order to change the culture to more relationship-centered, there's, it's not just one pathway. It's not just getting the teachers to connect with the kids. The staff has to connect with each other. Yeah. I always yeah. say it's classroom connections and campus connections, all right? So I've always said in the traditional public schools that I work with, that majority of the times I see the campuses that excel in those areas that's a principal or a campus leader who has two feet in and knowing that I have, to, I have to build relationships with my staff, I need them to build relationships with me, and I need them to build relationships with each other. Right. So I, I can only assume that at the RCA Academy, that has to be embedded into your culture. Or can you take us through what it's like and yeah. what y'all, if you do anything or just yeah. some insight on how do you guys create campus connections for the adults? Honestly, we do it just by just genuine, honest, just genuine, honestly, just trying to be a decent human being. We reach out to each other. We text each other when somebody's down. We send emails. Our email chains turn into 30 different responses when an event is over. Good job, everybody. You rocked it. Hey, we saw what you did with this graphic. That was amazing. We try to give out the energy that we do in return. We do hang out outside of school. Like we do Sunday brunches and stuff together. At one point in time, I remember just Randomly getting a call and was like, hey, I need you to come up to Tyrone, which is like 40 minutes from here. And Corey Collins, the reading teacher, he organized a, a escape room. So it was like eight of us staff, like, yo, how can we get out of this room together? And even in my previous school, it was, it was I had a team and, you know, of us and we were all and a couple of the teachers. We would go to Vickery's, which was a local restaurant. They had three dollar well drinks on Fridays. We'll laugh, drink and let out our stress for the week. Talk about what we need to change. And Monday morning, we, you know, we're right back at it. So it's if you ask me. A lot of times inside of education, the problem comes in because people do not understand how to just be a decent human being and treat people with respect and not gossip and try to be supportive of the school and the mission that's trying to happen. And at our school, we just we make it so much of a norm to support each other that when you don't, you stick out like a sore thumb. Mm. And when you, nobody really wants to stick out like a sore thumb. People fail to recognize inside of a negative culture, we have negative teachers. They normally don't operate individually. You know, they oftentimes operate in packs. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody wants to be that one teacher that's just being negative and gossips all the time and things like that. So at our school, we make it to be weird to be that way. We truly, genuinely care about each other. And we make it in every effort, text, phone calls, Zoom calls, Zoom hangouts. Um, we have Club RCA. So that's a membership style uh, type thing that people can join and be a part of monthly. And after the Club RCA meetings every Tuesday, there's all of us up there listening to music, hanging out and vibe and just 
that relational piece, it is extremely necessary to have that inside of your school culture if you want to go far. <laughs> no, that's no, that's well said. If you want to be successful. And, and I'm glad that you said that because I think a lot of people are like, how do you do that? And I'm like, as you said, if you're genuine and authentic and real and you have no hidden agendas yeah. and we generally put our best foot forward for each other. I like what you said, because when I was a principal, that was my philosophy. If you are going to be uh, some type of cancer or some type of parasite in our campus, I want it to stand out. I don't want to have to call you out. I want it to stand out to where you're like, oh, so this isn't the norm. This is so no, and you no, you one or two people are on an island and the rest of you are not going to buy into that or listen to that. So you have to figure it out. Is this a place for you or not? And I just think that what people are wanting more like anything else with the kids is we want a fast fix. We want to be able to change culture like that. And we want to be able to buy a book or buy a box and read something and it's going to change a culture. And I try to explain to them, it's going to take some time. But my observations is it really starts at the top because Mm -hmm. if your leaders model those characteristics and model that by opportunities and create those opportunities for Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or whatever it is for happy hour and those types of things, but also to create the safe environment where you can share and support each other and group texts and all those. I think that the more support, I always say this, uh, I have this phrase called power and permission. If administrator and a campus leader will give you permission, in other words, when I work with staff, I come to a campus, for example, Michael, I'll, I'll say, Prince, I need you to stand up in front of this entire staff before I even get started. And I need you to say, why am I here today? Mm-hmm. Because I, if you just kick it off to me, they're not going to know why. Am I, am I coming back? Is this something yeah. you really believe in? Are we just checking the box? Is this just another PD? And for the, and I will tell you when a powerful principal stands up and says, Kevin and his team is here today because we are going to put relationships at the forefront and he's going to be back. And we're going to expect that this is, and and so this isn't going to be a one and done, but I believe that we we need to build relationships with each other. We need to build relationships with our kids. And this is just, this is how it's going to start. When your principal tells you that and empowers you with that, there is no excuse by the staff. Because at that point, you can't say, if he comes in my classroom, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, Mm -hmm. you got hundreds of people looking at you. If you have to stop class or if you integrate building relationships into there, it's not going to be frowned upon. It's going to be excited to see that. What are your thoughts on that as far as integrating it into the system? I think it's brilliant. And I think it's, it's really smart that, like you said, it goes back to setting the tone. Last year, I remember... Beard and, and Clark stood up at the retreat and basically said, "Nobody's gonna, we're ready to rock and roll this year. Nobody's going to outwork us. Nobody's going to work as hard as us this year. I'm dedicated to making this year amazing. So when your leadership steps out there and says that, knowing the amount of tasks that they have as a family member, you're almost like, okay, I can't let them carry that weight by themselves because if they do, it's going to throw off the balance. So I think having that mindset, setting that tone automatically helps create that equilibrium that we all need to be on board when I can make magic happen. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw this scenario at you, not in the RCA Academy, in the general public schools where majority of us are struggling. Mm -hmm. My experience is we love to talk about the importance of relationships and connections Mm -hmm. and building with kids. 
Sometimes we, and, and I'm going to, and I also going to throw it pre pandemic because again, yeah. this is so pre pandemic general education setting for majority of schools across America. We love to talk about the importance of relationships and connections, but then a variety of pressures and things pushes things mm-hmm. around on our plate. And then what happens in my opinion and my observation is sometimes it could be standardized testing. It could be right. another initiative, different things. But when those other things start crowding our plate, my observation is the first thing that we always abandon or we push to the side is relationships. Mm-hmm. Do, have you ever sensed that of when you work with schools and talk with people, do you ever get that message? Even at our, even in RCA, the, the, the unique thing about being there is we have put so much equity into building relationships that when that stress test comes and pressure comes, when COVID comes, our natural inclination is to get close to each other and figure out which strategy we need to take. Like we don't just do home visits. Like at the beginning of the year, we literally take a picture of every child's face and lay them out on the floor. We're talking about 150 kids and we go and sticky, um, code them by a sticky dot to see which ones do we know the most, which ones we haven't had a lot of interactions with. And even at previous schools, what I'm learning, when that pressure hits, oftentimes people just fail to recognize that that's just a perfect time to come together and to try to combat whatever situation is going on inside of a particular student's life or whatever the case may be. And they allow that stress to truly affect that relationship. They allow stress to make them become triggered and stressed. And next thing you know, they're lashing out at people. And that's that's never going to help anything. We're all mad at each other. Being mad at each other because COVID is here is not, it's not going to help any. It's still going to be here. Right? Right. It's, still going to, it's still going to disrupt things. How can we position ourselves in a way to bind closer together to figure this thing out? Whose strengths can we play off of? Who knows most about technology? Who knows most about curriculum? How can we just partner together in this process? And I think that's what I've learned with different schools that I've worked with is that some of them have a natural inclination because of the work they've done before a disaster or something happens or before a stress test comes, whether it's standardized assessment, whether it's parents that may be a little irate in the office, they have already put in and work with each other that when those situations happen, it's not as easy to break them apart. And, okay. and people fail to recognize the importance of putting those investments and things in. Um, it's, it's just the same concept and just the savings. When you're putting those deposits in, over and over again, when an emergency does come up, but you're not at your last hoping, how can I make this happen? You have enough equity within that account to make something come. So at the Ron Clark Academy, is there an expectation that you are to build relationships with kids? Is that an expectation? Oh, that's autumn. They wouldn't hire you if you wouldn't. Like they, it's <laughs> an automatic, automatic uh, kind of piece. And what makes it like for our school, it's you are required to eat lunch with the students. Great teachers don't mind eating lunch with the students anyway because you get a chance to really get your ear in and figure out what's going on. It right. may be inconvenient because you want your time. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get right. it. But my past eight years of eating lunch with my students has not done any harm to me. What it has done is let me figure out if I've triggered them before we went to lunch and how can I adjust my lesson and stuff after. So those are requirements at our school and I embrace them. Every great teacher embraces them. No, I th- I love that because see, yeah. that's exactly what my whole message is about. When it's required and just expected, then you're going to meet that expectation. Yeah. What I have observed, and just in Texas, we've been in over 100 school districts just in Texas and in 13 other states. You So I tell people when we created National Educators for Restorative Practices, I've seen what it looks like in small schools, big schools, with unions, without unions, with budgets, without budgets, with other initiatives on the plate. And so as I start to see this, 
somewhere along the line, we have this message of content, curriculum, discipline, disproportionality, attendance, all of these things. But we like to talk about the relationships as if it's in that same category. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I developed what I call the three zones of learning. The three zones of learning are, it's like almost the way I use it, it looks like a Pepsi, kind of a Pepsi logo. And the middle half is content. And then the bottom quarter is correct. And then the top half is connect. And I look at it as three cylinders as an engine, because there was a teacher said, I don't know where you want me to be at when the classroom, do you want me to be teaching? Do you want me to build the relationships? And they were thinking so literal, almost like they were like, which channel? So I turned it into zones. So when I talk about the three zones of learning, you realize content is the largest zone. It is typically, we are there to deliver curriculum and content. When I moved to that smaller quarter section on the correct zone, this is where attendance, behavior, disproportionality, And all of those things fall into that category, but it's also in those first two, those are the two where every school in America is evaluated in. But when you go to the connect zone, there is no relationship report. There's no accountability for connections. So it's something that we love to talk about. But when you work in an environment where it says this is expected. And, and it will be expected. And if you don't meet that expectation, then as you said, how can you work at a, a place like RCA? Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm hoping to get this message out is if you're a principal, and I know right now, Michael, I've gone to campuses and they're mm-hmm. accelerating past other campuses in the district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my opinion is it's because they're running on all three cylinders. Mm-hmm. When you go down a hallway and you see a fourth grade teacher, but the rest of the fourth grade teachers are lagging behind, that teacher has engaged all three cylinders. And despite what education has told me that I'm not accountable for it. I know it's important and I'm going to put your, I'm going to put it into my classroom. So right. you've seen the value of it. The teachers at RCA get hired knowing that, that they're all, that we have, we click on all three cylinders and more. Yeah, I just, I, I, it's just that I, I'm struggling to help other educators. And I think mm-hmm. the best compliment I ever got was he said, Kevin, for 20 years, I've been an administrator and we have typically focused on relationships for the first five days of school. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I've been guilty of like, hey, don't forget to connect with kids and don't forget, mm-hmm. but I've never really held them accountable or anything that. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've been preaching the importance of relationships. And what you finally showed us is how to do that. Right. Because the, the 80% of the people just say, just tell us how to build relationships because I don't naturally do that. And I believe that those educators want to do better, but nobody's in teaching us in college. Nobody's mm-hmm. teaching us in, in alternative certifications or teacher certification mm-hmm. or preparation. They don't specifically train you in the tools to build and sustain relationships. They just tell you the ph- philosophy and the approach that it's important. But then when it really comes down to everything else on our plate, I didn't really get taught how to do that. So I, I don't know really how to go back. It's like muscle memory. I don't know how to go back to right. those muscle memories. Does that make sense right. to you? It does. It makes a lot of sense. And that's why I try to make sure even when I'm giving speeches and stuff now, I'm working on that, that when I present a theory, like relationships matter, okay, what three strategies are you doing to ensure that relationships matter? How do you build those relationships in your classroom? How do you create that community in your classroom? How do you make space for discourse and tough conversations? So I do believe that is extremely important and extremely critical. And even if there are teachers, because I've been in a struggling school system before, you have to make sure that you try to find somebody in your school system that is like-minded. I think Chris Edmond once said <clears throat> in regards to mentorship, don't find somebody that you assign to, find somebody that you're aligned to in a positive way. 
So a line to me that John in kindergarten loves children and loves building relationships with them is constantly looking for creative ways to teach the content. You might want to line up with John, even though you may not teach kindergarten, you may teach fifth grade, but at least you and John can feed each other's fire. Mm. And next thing you may spark somebody else inside the school system. And next thing you know, if you spark enough people, it becomes a norm of what our expectation stuff is. Mm. So it, it, I believe it just takes, a, it takes time. It takes a joint effort, effort and community. And most importantly, it just takes the person being willing to stretch themselves and recognize if you want to do great things, you have to just do what great people are doing. I'm not saying the RCA is great, but what I do know is God have mercy coming into there as my first year as a teacher. I mean, they're going to my second. They work really hard to establish relationships and to build that content. And now as a teacher there, I can understand why they are operating it the way they do. When COVID mm-hmm. happened, of course, we all were like, okay, oh my gosh, but we went through Facebook Live. We got Facebook Live in two weeks, went to Zoom. Like we was three teachers stepped up, Dr. Jones, Dr. Mr. Bernard, and uh, the DT, Daniel Thompson, the science teacher, Mr. Cooper, the tech guy. They literally went through and gave us a quick 30, 40 minute thing on Zoom to make us figure out, help us how to get used to teaching classrooms. Ms. Angelita Williams, we call her the, the boss queen. She does everything. She was helping us set up our classrooms and stuff like People just started, hey, we they don't need to get mad and frustrated. Let's who can do this, who can do what? We start delegating different things, right? Because some people like myself wasn't but a professionalist out of just using technology. Those things matter. People, if you work hard together, <laughs> you have your focus on doing what's right for kids, there is literally no wall that you can bust down. And I know this is a different time because this is literally the this is the health and life of individuals with COVID-19. Correct. Um, but if you can find a way to join hands together and, and come on a common voice and a common stance of how can we put our students in the best position to be safe and learn? Mm-hmm. You can't lose. This is the wrong time to to disrupt and go crazy. Imagine it's Yeah, it's just the wrong time. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I love that. Uh, a sign versus a line. That's a mic drop moment. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. And what I also heard you say is like when you say go find that kindergartner teacher, John, and mm-hmm. then you just talked about what the staff at, at RCA mm-hmm. rallied together. We always saw the contagion effect. It's like mm-hmm. good cooking, right? Mm-hmm. Why do people flock to RCA? Because yeah. what's cooking over there? It's, mm-hmm. it's good cooking. It's good. It's good for the soul of educators to right. come in and experience all cylinders running in, in, mm-hmm. in a true life setting where educators are being stretched. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, what I'm really appreciating is the fact that even though it's only been eight years, mm-hmm. I, I can just tell by your facial expressions, people can't mm-hmm. see it. Like your first year, that, that sounds like it stretched you that first oh, yeah, year. For sh- so imagine teaching two grade levels that you never taught before. I right? don't have a classroom. I'm sharing a classroom with Ron Clark. So he's watching me teach and then I'm watching him teach. And then I'm going through different trips, the different experiences, the different engagements. School is over for us at three, study hall until four. We have events till six sometimes, along with the educator training days where teachers are coming in every week, 500 to 700 teachers per week. And then we have the nerve to go to online learning and then build a club RCA along with still doing trainings, along with still doing online free webinars, doing the amazing shape where we had 200, 250 kids um, on Zoom and we're at somebody's house literally with masks on, moving children in and out of each room to make sure we properly interview them. It, it's been stretched, but what it taught me is the pillars of our state, academic excellence, relationships, community involvement, family involvement, those things were really being put to test. And that's what happens. That's why I try to explain to people, like the message I gave at your conference, 
COVID, it was nothing, God have mercy, this is wrecked a lot, but it was a stress test to see where is your true foundation at. Mm -hmm. And it's going to expose you. And what happened is I got exposed to my personal life. Some schools got exposed. So we got exposed to the entire institution in regards to education because we should have been able to adapt a little bit quicker to online learning. It's a thing, but yeah, RCA has been a, it's been a, it's been a good challenge, but I, the, the amount of growth I've had, it would have probably taken me two years to grow in this one year that I have. It's accelerated growth. So as we start to come towards the end, let's talk about that growth and who you are now in Bonnerville. And I want people to get a sense of who you are outside of RCA, who Mm -hmm. Michael Bonner is, what's Bonnerville, what are you up to? What are you excited? I want you to also share your little hashtag legacy over likes, right? So this is an opportunity. I want people to know and be excited about what you're doing to make a difference in this, not just in education, but in this world, Mm -hmm. Michael. Okay, so for me, Bonnerville, I've always wanted to just be an individual who is wealthy because where I come from, you don't see wealth often. So because I understand it's how this capitalistic society, money is really what makes things change and happen. Um, so for me, I established Bonnerville as a company in 2017, shortly after Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, what I made sure I dedicated was that I dedicated my company to supporting students and supporting teachers through all the business endeavors and stuff that I have. I am the teacher that knows about how you have to fill your closet with extra snacks and deodorant and stuff or baby wipes. So when students come in, they need that ba- those basic needs, you have them. I am the teacher that knows that when you want to go take a field trip and the gas is $200 and the county is talking about they don't have the money, where's the money going to come from? So I have dedicated you know, my life in a sense of using my business and my philanthropy and the, you know, my charisma to help fund teachers who are truly trying to do amazing things. They just don't have the backing and stuff behind it. And, and I really enjoy that. So that's what Bonneville is. It's a community. It's a group of people that are just, just relentless and just loving kids and don't mind challenging things that are wrong. Don't mind having conversations about reform. And I love that. So recently, I have the entire legacy over likes thing. That is a saying I developed last year because when you have a platform and when you do get to go on Ellen or NBC Nightly News, you have the ability to get caught up in the likes and, and the glamour of social media and putting up this you know, nice persona and stuff. And I've just, that's just, I just don't want to live that life. I don't want to leave that legacy. I want my legacy to be wherever that man went at. Not only did he speak the truth, but he brought great energy here and he made sure that he stayed dedicated to children and teachers. And that's what I've been focused on. So what I've been working on during quarantine is I've developed a YouTube channel, man. Just been having fun documenting things I'm doing in my classroom, lessons I may learn throughout the week. I showed my new classroom yesterday um, and it's been really cool staying in touch with teachers and just showing them that, hey, yes, he may be this this quote unquote teacher, but he struggles as well, too. And I'm documenting how I'm pushing through those struggles. So when another major moment happens, success happens, they can't say it just happened out of nowhere. I'm literally documenting all over the online progress to that moment. Outside of a teacher, I'm a giver at heart. And I'm just trying to give as much knowledge and also provide and give as much capital <laughs> to teachers that would truly help change education. I saw what that trip did for my students to California with Ellen. And once you see something like that, it, it will change your life forever. And, and that's why I established Bonneville. You know, what? A, that's kind of why I'm also just as passionate and in love with what you do, because I think when I started, I, I left public education knowing, okay, I got to have a job. So unlike you, I did fall for it. I, and my reason leaving the education was not 
to be a consultant or even try to chase money, I just realized, okay, as an administrator leading the district in suspensions, I'm a cog in the wheel of the school to prison pipeline. And once you can't, when you can't unsee some things, once you recognize the data and what it says, right? I just realized piloting the first restorative campus in the state of Texas and people were leaning into me and saying, we need to hear what that was like. Helping publish a book in 2016 uh, you know, and mm-hmm. what that was like with six other people about getting it up off the ground in Texas, that was great. But I will tell you what I loved about this work is what you said. I was so passionate. I'm like, hey, how do I take what we're doing with capital and pump it right back into schools? Washers, dryers, backpacks, right. teachers, Amazon wish lists. And then and being just being really honest, I just I don't do this for the money. I do it to make a difference. Like you said, I love your legacy over likes because that's ultimately what I'm also trying to do. I want to leave this world and this education world better than what I found it 22 years right. ago. And for me, The best way to do that is to be genuine, authentic, real. And as you said, I'm a joyful giver. And I will tell you, I struggled because we've never marketed. We've never Mm -hmm. marketed. We've never really been on social media. It's very passive and those types of things. But I will tell you as an entrepreneur, one thing that somebody shared me with a piece of advice, because I just like, hey, I'm not about making the money. And they said, look, Mm -hmm. this is a ministry for you. And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And they said, I said, God gave me this platform to make a difference because I was actually in the second master's in Christian ministry. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what I told me was, and he said, look, Kevin, if there's no margin, there's no ministry. Facts. And I was like, oh, so you really took it there because mm-hmm. the the more, even though, yes, we make money and we're not a nonprofit, but the mm-hmm. what we do with the money has to be key because yeah. I want to make a difference. Like you said, I want to leave a legacy. So how I want people to just know how they can get a hold of you, how they yeah. can follow you. If yeah. you have any, I know you've authored, how many books have you, has you, have you written now? Uh, two of now, two of them now. Two hours up now. Yeah, so yeah. I just want, just here's a shout out, how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow okay. you and your books and stuff like that. Yeah, so de- uh, definitely. It's just Michael Bonner on all social media platforms. On my social media platform, I have my business cell phone number up there. If you choose to follow, you can text me. I'll text right back. It's a texting program that I bought and purchased so I can keep that relationship with teachers. It's my own little community. So when I do decide to give, I give to people I'm truly connected to because we know you put, I want to give $1,000 away to teachers on Twitter. You want to get teachers that you've never even heard you speak, never even seen. You don't even know what you look like. They're just, everybody's going to apply for that. Um, so I would just highly suggest, um, honestly, check out the YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll literally see me, my personality, my students, my family, and get a really good feel of what I'm trying to do because I know it's not going to be easy. But for me, we only have one life. And, and why not be a teacher who is extremely wealthy, who stays in the classroom, who makes magic happen in the classroom, a partner with amazing podcasts like the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, and just make magic happen. That's what I want to do. Make magic happen. All right, brother. Any closing message that we want to end this podcast? Just a message from Michael Bonner's heart to educators out there right now. I want to let you know that I feel the anxiety I feel the wave of emotions, the uncertainty, just like you do. But what I have learned to do is connect with a community of people, even if that means you have to get a therapist, even if that means you have to connect with someone at church to help guide you through this season. Because the beautiful thing about now is that we have the opportunity as educators to take this point in time to reform and figure out what stuff that we were doing was simply was not working. And what can we implement now that will help transcend our education system so that every child, regardless of their race, 
the ethnicity or sexual orientation can be successful within our classrooms. And based on previous pre-COVID data, we saw that wasn't the case. Now we have a chance to fix that. And I'm gonna ask you, will you join me in reforming this education system? Because every student is brilliant according to research, science, brain research, but it's gonna take an amazing teacher to pull that out of them. Will you join me in that journey? That's all I gotta say. Wow, brother. That's a powerful call to action. You are a, a powerful gentleman in education. I thank you and applaud you for your why. I am honored and just so glad that God gave you your what and, and where you're at with RCA, but also what you're doing outside of education. And I cannot thank you for your time and your investment today because I always believe time is valuable and you made time for me and my listeners today. So I want to thank you for that investment because you made an investment in me and you made an investment in others. Thanks for being on the show, brother. I appreciate you. Same, same, same. Appreciate you too, brother.